Hi, welcome to Feels and Variations. My name is Alex. And my name's Grace. And what we do is re- uh, duh, buh. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning to me. <laughs> and what we do is break down your favorite, well, our favorite pieces of music. And then we analyze it, looking at the history and typical interpretations, and then we reinterpret the piece. Yeah. So, last time we broke down the Prelude in C by Bach... We talk about its history, structure, and its significance. And today we're actually going to take a hard left turn into hacked CD players. Uh, what? Well, I like music that pushes the boundaries on typical music conventions. So like what's considered an instrument, what's considered a score, what's considered music. And the works of Nick Collins encompasses boundary pushing through his use of modified electronics for musical purposes. Okay, this this is a pretty good exercise for me for like developing myself as a musician as well as a consumer of music. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I mentioned last time my dad's whole thing about like the drunken octopus era of music. I've, I've definitely internalized that judgment from him, and it can be very difficult for me to let the boundaries of music be fluid. You know, I, I was raised on Bach. <laughs> yeah. So both as a musician and as, like, someone who enjoys music, most of the stuff that I listen to has a lot of structure, except Radiohead. There was a guy in college who was, like, sitting me down, like, okay, why do you like Radiohead and hate jazz? And I'm like, I don't know. <sighs> So. <laughs> I guess my defense of that is that it's enough structure coming from the pop world, but then they go into their own sort of experimentation. Right. That it's kind of like you can justify the experimentation with, well, but it's Radiohead, so it's okay. But it's Radiohead. It's the standard. Yeah. So this is this is yeah. good for me to, to like try and make music that pushes into that a little bit. I think it's a good creative exercise. Yeah, definitely. And especially with the process of this piece that we'll get into, like it's... Oh, Yes. Definitely for making it, it's different from how I've typically made stuff before and definitely for performing it or like creating it. I'm sure it's a lot different from how you've done before. Very different. I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to sit down and see what happens. Because <laughs> even when I did like, in, like, you know, when you take piano lessons and they make you go to like grade exams, you're supposed to do some improv as part of the exams, but it's literally like here is a melody that follows all the rules and you have to improvise the chords, which means you're like one, five, five, seven, one, five. Like it follows the rules anyway, but then it progressed into like, okay, now here's the pentatonic scale. I'm like, great, easy, done, next. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this is different. So prior to you talking about this episode and, and getting ready for it, I didn't even know who Nick Collins was. So can you tell us more about him? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, he is known for his use of modified electronics and also for hardware hacking. He is currently a professor at the Art Institute of Chicago in the Department of Sound. Uh, he studied with Alvin Lucier, who did the piece I'm Sitting in a Room. Basically, Lucier recorded himself speaking in a hall, played that back in the space, recorded it in the space. And he did this until the sound was completely transformed. So a lot of electroacoustic experiments. Mm -hmm. So one of Mr. Collins' hardware hacks was actually the CD player, which he used to great effect in pieces Broken Light, Broken Choir, and other pieces. And today we're going to focus on the first piece, Broken Light. Hi, this is Alex from the future. Before we go any further, the information from this episode comes from Mr. Collins' book, Handmade Electronic Music, The Art of Hardware Hacking, as well as the Cambridge Companion to Electronic Music and his articles on hacking the CD player and the piece Broken Light, which can be found on his website, nicholascollins.com. That's Nicholas without the H, Collins, no space, dot com. Also wanted to make a correction. So later on in the episode, Grace and I talk about what got Mr. Collins interested in DJing in the first place. 
That didn't actually happen until the end of the 70s, between 79 and 82, the, quote, golden days of Grandmaster Flash, as he put it. Also, thank you to Mr. Collins for letting us use excerpts from Broken Light in this episode. That's it for me. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Question, why did Mr. Collins hack the CD player in the first place? So he had this idea of working with the CD player because it's an inexpensive tool and it expresses musical identity directly without the mediation of an instrument. So instead of having to learn the riff and execute it well, you could yeah. play the record again. And that's that's nice because I've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours practicing. Like at piano camp, we were literally given six hours a day to practice. <laughs> So that's better. But I guess my comment about that is that even if you're just playing the sound from a record, like there is still an element of practice and performance in it. So mm-hmm. like with turntablists, like there are certain techniques, like I don't know enough about it. to. It translates across records. Yeah. Even if the medium is changing and it's not the physicality of like playing something like the piano or the guitar, you're still playing something, but just in it just differently. However, when Nick thought about bringing turntable tools to... All of his performances, creative records, heavy electronics, all of that, his back protested at the thought. So having a CD player, much easier, slimmer, more compact, hence CD. It's in the name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, a compact disc. And I mean, you and I both understand that particular protestation having, I had to take two timpani all over Italy once. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish I had all the pianos you've had to move. On the, well, yeah. On the one hand, I wished I'd had four timpani, but on the other hand, at least I didn't have to take all four to the coastline. I had to retune these timpani as I went. It sucked. But yeah, there's a ton of gear for percussion and you've got like what amps and, and guitars. I mean, now it's kind of evolved into not necessarily a guitar and an amp, but a mixer, a PA, and then a bunch of pedals and noise processors and stuff. So it's like, it's different, but it's not necessarily better. And then you have to keep all the chords straight. <laughs> I just, I, I throw them at the wall and just see what sticks, honestly. <laughs> Spaghetti chords. Uh-huh, yeah. basically. So how did Nick land on CD players is the answer. So, well, he he didn't jump right into hacking CD players. So CDs weren't really commonly available or affordable until the early 1980s. right. Instead, he started building an automated mixing system used in his piece. Is she, he really going out with him, her, them in 1982? And this replicated uh, DJ cutting. I love the forward thinkingness of those pronouns. It like, Mm -hmm. no matter how many times I read the name of that piece, I'm like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) And then in uh, 1985, he tried using cheap sampling pedals to remix and loop live radio, basically DJing with radio. And this was found in his 1984. Yeah, and this was uh, used in his 1985 piece, Devil's Music. This bit reminds me about, like, if somebody is in a movie or a TV show and they're, like, flipping through the channels at the perfect time, so it, like, cuts, like, industry, business, and then it's, like, Godzilla, and then, you know, some guys doing the tango or whatever. Like, it's just so great. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, in 1986, he devised a live sampling system based around a modified trombone used oh, on the piece no. um, Tobabo Fonio. I apologize if I mispronounced. Tobabo Fonio. Well, you know what yeah. they say about trombones, right? 
No. Don't look at them. It only encourages them. If I'm kind of remembering from the readings, Mr. Collins joked that he d- doesn't even play the trombone. It could be a fun thing to play with because of the slide, right? So you have yeah. a little, you could like quarter tones and stuff. I get it. Well, it, I think it was less about the sound from the trombone and more of like mm. the medium of using the trombone as a way to process the sound. Ooh. That's so, fascinating. Yes. And if you want to find more about this, Mr. Collins has written articles about all, if not most of these, and they could be found on his website. So coming down towards the invention of the CD players, well, not invention, but I guess the more widespread use of the CD players, this gave him a more mobile option compared to using a live sampling trombone or using like a lot of pedals and stuff or using like an automated mixing system. So what was he able to do using CDs instead of his previous techniques? Like by hacking the CD player, what freedom did that allow him? One thing that he found was that in messing with the CD player, when you hit pause, you don't actually stop the music, mm. right? What happens is you mute the sound, but the CD player just keeps looping the sound that's going Back on. Back to the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. So he found that by disconnecting the mute pin from the CD player, when he hit pause, he still got sound, but it was like a da 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 Da, 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 the da, like a looping sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Combining this with a search command, he found he could nudge the CD to another subsection of music. Mm. So he wasn't just stuck with like that pause loop and then having to unpause it to go forward. <laughs> right. He could just hit pause and just have it jump to wherever it would want to jump to. It's similar to the turntable, but there's a button in between. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little more automated mm-hmm. in a way. So, I, well, one thing that I'm a big fan of is just automatic processes in music Mm -hmm. if i can do the same thing with just like either pushing a button and some manipulation versus like having to constantly like hit the button over and over again right it's a little more efficient and i find it a little more interesting Mm -hmm. interestingly enough he also found that the first track tended to have shorter pause loops than the later tracks so the first track was more of like a fast section because Mm. of the physicality of the CD player itself. Interesting. Yeah, and some other control that he got from this was something called Skitter, which would allow the CD player to skip to random sections of other tracks, and it sounds like a mess, and it's awesome. (laughs) Another thing he included was presets, so that would basically allow the performer to just jump to a specific track, which is pretty useful utilitarian yeah yeah and then after broken light he went on to devise another cd player style of turntable called the sled dog Mm. which is like you have a turntable but you have the cd like exposed and you can like manually slow it down i haven't looked at that article but i'm curious to hear how he (laughs) came up with that name hey eli do you want to help me make an improvised fantasy adventure podcast hey ty that sounds fun do we want to bring in all of our friends to play with us nope just you Okay, will I be on the whole time? Actually, no, you'll be on for three to six episodes, and then we'll bring on another guest. Okay, is one of us going to be the main character? Nope, you're all just going to be side characters in a larger story. Okay, but this podcast is going to be hard to find, right? Nope, just look up Side Character Quest on whatever podcast app you like, or just go to SideCharacterQuest.com. Okay, but you promise not to kill my character, right? No promises. Uh, oh no. (laughs) Let's talk about the history of this piece. So it was actually commissioned by the Soldier String Quartet and it debuted in 1991. A fun fact, actually, the Soldier String Quartet is laid by Dave Soldier, a.k.a. Dave Solzer. And he's the same Dave Soldier who created the most unwanted song, which is a 20 minute piece comprised of musical elements most disliked. That sounds like a really good way to drive my dad and me up the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. It features like children's choir singing Walmart no, no, holiday no, 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 jingles. No, 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 no. Painfully slow cowboy songs with bagpipes, uh, an operatic soprano rapping over tuba and a no, drum no, machine. No, 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 no. 
Oh god! It's it, well, and they they actually did another one, which was like the most wanted song, which was like a f- three to four minute track that is the most blandest <laughs> thing. It has like a sax solo, and it has like point really made. like yeah yeah. So as previously mentioned, uh, it's comprised of a string quartet playing against the backdrop of a hack CD. Actually, I don't think I even mentioned that. So the piece "Broken Light" is a is comprised of a string quartet playing against the backdrop of a hacked CD player. It's really interesting that the string quartet commissioned it. I don't I don't know if I realized that before. Yeah yeah. Well, I don't know if it was necessarily like, hey, hack the CD player, but hey, can you write a piece for us? I, I mean, I don't know what that situation was. <laughs> we want a sound really weird and eerie can you help and the cd that he used were baroque pieces by corelli locatelli and torelli so in a way tying back into the whole like podcast it's kind of a variation on the pieces of these composers themselves now grace can you tell me how the sheet music is organized and what the strings are doing from one section to another when i received the sheet music from you i was like what what (laughs) because because like you're saying it is like the original themes and variations sort of cast so the first two pages are literally just like words as he's talking about like (laughs) here right this is what i'm doing this is how it works this is how i'd like you to bow because he's talking to a string quartet this is the original source material be really familiar with it you know if that's what you're using in our case we chose different source material but we'll get to that later but ultimately he talks about three different sections in the music and you can see it in the actual sheet music which just looks like a bunch of rests and then some like weird sonic waves so it'll be like the cd gets a sonic wave and then violin one gets a sonic wave and then the cd gets a sonic wave and then the cello gets a sonic wave and so on and so forth it's just being passed off between the cd and cycling between each of the members of the quartet and that's part one and then part two is sort of more of i think the more compelling part that for us that we were more interested in which was to have the cd doing its thing in the background and the violinists and and cellists riffing on top of that um and it's really yeah, and everybody kind of builds like passing that i think in the in the score it's like they're passing one note to the next instrument and right. they're changing the note and passing it and the only way that you can see that happening in the music is there's this like big bold line that like chunks around between the different players and then eventually instead of being bounced around you can see it building because the line goes you know one player is playing that line and then another one joins and another one joins and so on until everybody's playing the line with the CD over top and it becomes a wall of sound. And then the third part is kind of similar, but a little bit more like there's a lot of glissandos written in. So everybody's glissing, mm-hmm. glissing, glissing up. It's like into a bluesy the same. sort of slide. Right, right, exactly. So they're sliding up. So they're all glistening up until they're in a new wall of sound that's a little different. And then they they also like go through solos together. Um, Solo, solo, solo until they're all playing together again. So it's really got this, a lot of play to it. Like everybody's sort of playing with each other and playing with the CD where like they're taking turns, they're playing together. Uh, it's kind of a dance in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and one thing about the score itself, I think a part of the reason why it's very kind of vague, vague, but and it's like notating what specifically people are doing is is because the performers are actually improvising As to what's go. happening in the CD player. Yeah. So I don't think we even mentioned this. So the performers had to learn the piece so well that they could jump to any section in the music because the CD player. You don't know where it's going. Exactly. So then the idea is that the performers are like playing over a certain section for a certain amount of time and then it switches and they have to figure out, okay, so then, oh, wait, that's where it is. And they go to like that next closest note and that right. next chord or that next sound. Right. 
Right, which is, I think, easier when you just have one line to worry about. Yeah, and more so instructions like, okay, so then I just want you to switch, like, maybe to do one to two notes, but, like, stay on the beat of this, or right. you're, one person's going to be soloing, everybody's just going to be accompanying in the background, that kind of thing. Right. I think the layout of the score really does lend to that, rather than saying, okay, mm. specifically, you're going to do that, do that, do that, do that, because it is so indeterminate. Right, it's very, very flexible, and it, it, you're right, it's because of that improvisational nature. Like, there's no notes here. There's no notes, there's yeah. no staff, it's just blocks yeah and then you have another page of words i mean it's just it's just so interesting (laughs) like that's that's what the music is i was like when i first saw that you were like hey grace take a look at the sheet music i was like uh what what (laughs) (laughs) what is this it's the sheet music we're coming to the end of our episode here yes the structure that we're trying to build is that in our body we kind of discuss the piece and at the end we do our interpretation of it In our last episode, um, we discussed how your interpretation of the prelude in C is informed by the metronomic rigidity of Glenn Gould and the romanticism of Andras Schiff. This time, however, we're going to reinterpret our definition of interpretation. So what was our process for this piece? So I've sent you a number of recordings of me playing Brahms, which we will come back to at some point for a future episode. Um, So I have this intermezzo that um, is to me, one of the most quintessentially Brahms sort of romantic pieces ever. Um, And I sent you myself playing it and you were like, okay, I will go do a thing with it. Um, So I don't really know what you did, but you came back with a series of skitters. Well, I guess more like pause loops because it was just kind of focusing on each like individual sections. But what I did, and this is kind of like a how it's made for something that no one's going to listen to. So I took the original recordings and put them into like a Maximus P patch that let me isolate a specific fragment of that file and then just loop it. Mm. And then I jumped to a random like section of that file. And How just did you skipped. randomize it? So in Max, almost everything is controllable by numbers. So I set it up to where I divided the file into like maybe 15 different sections. And then I would just say, OK, so jump to the next 15th, the next 15th, the next 15th like that. Mm hmm. And then where it jumped to was a little random, which was on purpose. So sometimes it jumped a little bit before, sometimes it jumped a little bit ahead. Mm -hmm. Right. But the, it still had some kind of forward motion, but it was still random and exactly where it was going. Which made it easier for me to jump around. Yeah. So then you sent me the, the file with all of those pause loops. And so there'd be like 10 seconds per pause loop where that loop was reiterating, um, over the course of those 10 seconds. And, Sometimes it had an internal pulse, and sometimes it wasn't really clear where the beat would be. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, which is great. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm a real percussionist. So then I'm listening to this and going, okay, yeah, I can kind of hear where that might have come from. And I spend a little bit of time just to make things easier for me, because instead of worrying about one line, I'm worrying about, like, up to eight at a time. Yeah. <laughs> which is... Special. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like listened to the music and tried to figure out where those particular harmonics would have been holding over. Because when you add in the, the consideration that this piece has a lot of pedal in it, notes from the previous like articulation would carry over and you could hear them in the pause loop, but where I would find like, oh, these are the notes that I'm primarily hearing wouldn't necessarily encompass all of the notes there. I would have to consider like what, when's the last time I pedaled in that yeah. recording. 
Um, So as I sort of outlined it, sometimes I would have to outline like, okay, here are eight notes that you can play that will be one of the notes from this particular pause loop. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. other times it was like, okay, these are your three. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which was actually better. Like (laughs) fewer was, fewer was good because there there was a little bit more room for sort of play. Um, Because when there were a lot of notes, then it would just sound like I had smashed my hands on the piano if I did something outside of that range, if that makes sense. I mean, th- there's Which nothing is, wrong with that either, honestly. That's we're, an acceptable we're, we're, we're way to play. We're very free on this show, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I, I got to um, go up on stage with Elizabeth Zimmon last week, which was mm-hmm. weird, and she was playing uh, Carrie by Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I was looking at her hands, and she was literally like, bam, 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 with, at one point, <laughs> just like yeah. putting the flat of her hand on the piano and, and smacking at it. And I just cracked up, because I'm like, what are you... What are you? What are you doing? Yeah, clusters. Perfectly acceptable. Clusters, baby. It's cl- just slam your fist on the piano. Bam, 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 bam. Oh my gosh! Show your dominance. <laughs> Show your dominance. <laughs> I'm in control. Darn it! On the um, boss. Bang, 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 bang. So what I basically did is I like made a new printout of my music so that I could make these little like here's number one, here's number two, um, and then listen to the pause loop music and make a new track uh, in my recording software so that I could play over it and you'd be able to line it up correctly um yeah that was the process on my end uh mm-hmm. meanwhile i did several takes of that and a lot of them were strange and i at one point i was like i need to create some rhythm so that i could i know where i am <laughs> so you you got a couple of weird percussive tracks Percussion there tracks. yeah 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 and then once i got all these tracks i just kind of lined them up with the pause loops and then just did some arranging and took out any pause loops or or like sections where it's like yeah i don't know about that (laughs) and then we ended up with something that sounds like music
And I was really excited when I showed it to my spouse and he was like, like having heard, he heard the original Broken Light, you know, when I was first getting to this project with you and he was yeah. like, whoa, what, what is that? You know? And I, yeah. I told him, you know, what, what the deal was. And he was like, that's, that's wild. And then he heard what we created and he was like, oh, I would just listen to this. It like didn't push any boundaries for him somehow. Good. So, well, I, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe good. Maybe, I don't know. What yeah. was our intention? <laughs> With the current music technology, like it's, there isn't a lot that hasn't already been done. Right. You know, and a lot of, at least for me coming back to like coming into this stuff, like it's kind of just digging back into a musical history that just isn't, isn't really robust maybe not robust but maybe not popular <laughs> right now because there right. are a lot of ways you could you could do it i mean w- w- like going into like the original broken light like because there weren't really a lot of hack cd players maybe not many pieces that used like a hack cd player with a live string quartet and that kind of performance like right. i feel that was definitely a lot more boundary pushing than certainly us doing an interpretation of it but because well, like yeah. i was just able to whip it together on, on my computer and i didn't have to hack a cd player to make it happen <laughs> i feel like that kind of does take away from it a little bit not saying like right. it like it's not bad but like it's not boundary pushing partly because the boundaries already been pushed and we're just kind of like going there to meet it yes and i think we did i think we did meet it uh, we we did we did play broken light we just used a different piece that we're more familiar with yeah uh, we don't have a string quartet at our disposal. <laughs> but we have um, multi-tracking and a piano. <laughs> we have multi-tracking, we have a piano, and we have my weird bam sticks or whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one major difference, though, from the original Broken Light is that mm. they were still improvising, but the, the performers, like, they didn't know what was coming, whereas you had a chance to actually, like, map it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, they couldn't do their homework. They couldn't do their homework because it was a performance piece. Well, so it's not that they couldn't do their homework, but they had to overdo their homework so they had to learn the piece in and out whereas like not like you didn't have to learn the piece but you had time to prep it ahead of time yeah yeah. so it's exactly. it's like it's like taking an open notebook quiz right yes i had an open notes <laughs> quiz so we hope you liked our interpretation of broken light we had a lot of fun making it it was an endeavor it was a lot of work mm-hmm. um so let us know what you think about it uh, please send us a message at feels and vercast on twitter and follow us Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Feels and Variations. You can find me on Instagram at Three Treasures Wellness and Twitter at AccuPiano. You can find me on Twitter at French at Music. Well, at French AT Music, like French Alexander Taylor Music. And Instagram at French Alexander Music. You just had to make that difficult, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't want to do French Alexander Music just because I ran out of the character limit. Yeah, that sounds familiar. But also just making things difficult because that's just what I do for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for joining us for Feels and Variations. See you next time.
The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.